This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you're listening to Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 13th, episode number 722. This episode is brought to you by action writer Tat. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge, you're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love, but don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Did you like your new opener? You haven't heard it yet. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) And all true. It's all true about endurance riders. Well, welcome, Karen, to your first co-hosting gig here on Horses in the Morning. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. Well, you've been a guest many times on our shows over the years, and we certainly appreciate that. But now you're going to start a once a month show here on the Horses in the Morning show. It'll be the second uh, Tuesday of every month. And, uh, you know, we, we, we are looking forward to this because we have a lot of listeners who have Arabs and have other horses that they want to start doing endurance riding with, but don't have any idea how to get started. And we're going to help a little bit with that. We're going to hear uh, all kinds of uh, tips of the trade and just a lot about endurance riding with some fantastic guests. And you, a professional endurance rider yourself. Well, I don't know if I'm professional, but, um, you know, it's an amateur sport, but uh, I'm definitely one of the most addicted ones to it, that's for sure. Well, and you would have to be addicted to spend as much time in the saddle as you guys do. Definitely. You know, they're, they're definitely are not lazy endurance riders. No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of work and effort, but it's definitely worth it for what, what you get out of it. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that, too, because one of the things, uh, a little later in the show, one of the things that I find kind of intimidating about it, and I would love to do endurance driving. That's it. I, have no, I don't have a competitive bone in my body as far as going out and competing, except a little bit of inkling that I would like to do endurance driving. And one of the mm-hmm. things, though, is the time consumption. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, how, how much time you have to spend on it. And I think that's something that intimidates people who are looking to get into it. But uh, uh, you are also a blogger. We're going to talk about your blog and have become uh, popular in the endurance community because of that. And we're going to learn a little bit more about you. Plus, we have some guests coming up on today's show. Jennifer, who, who's going to be joining us? <laughs> it's Endurance Day on Horses in the Morning, and on today's show, we'll be exploring the big wide world of endurance riding, starting with an inspir- an inspirational story from this inspirational sport, and I can't talk today, that of Sue Hedgecock, 
And next up, a behind-the-scenes look at Action Rider Tack with Candy and Deidre. They are great fun, and you're going to love that one. And finishing strong, competitor, ride manager, and AERC board member, Patty Stedham is here. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. And for new listeners, uh, for, for all of your endurance riders who are joining us for the first time here at Horses in the Morning, that is Coach Jen. She produces our show. Normally, uh, my co-host chair is filled by Jamie Jennings, who is an event rider out of Arizona. So she also gets up early, Karen, to do the show. And, okay, uh, I'm not the only one. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> she does it uh, three days a week, and then the other days we fill with people like Karen doing some specific things. Like on Thursday, we have our emergency prepared in this show that uh, we have with Dr. Jimenez talking about preparing for emergencies and first aid and things with your horses, which is something you guys have to know a little bit about as well. Um, tell us, Karen, where, you know, how did you, were you always a horse crazy kid? Uh, how'd you get into horses in the first place? I was, you know, I had a pony when I was a kid and I didn't get a horse until I was in my 20s. And I started out doing showing, taking lessons, and I eventually just got English? tired of going around in an arena and were you, make the what trail. Kind of, what kind of showing were you doing, there. Karen? What kind of showing? Oh, uh, just the local shows, and and I I did play days. I did it was mainly uh, English and dressage. Okay. And um and you know that was fun. It gave me a really good base. You know, taught me how to ride and you know stay on. Uh, for riding Arabs, especially, and um, I just got addicted to spending long hours in the saddle, and I uh, had a great time. I ended up going, one of my first camping trips was up at Roby Park, because I lived so close to the start of the Tevez Cup ride, and I went up there, went on a camping trip with some friends, met up with some endurance riders, and we sat around the campfire um, listening to their stories, and I was just immediately hooked. And um, from that moment on, my goal was to do the Tavis. And it took me That's about like setting three goal years. To pop girlfriend. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you know, I started out riding, you know, 25 miles and then 50, and you know, I think I did 100 or two, and then I I did finally make it to the Tavis, and I've um, since completed it five times. How old were you when you when you were at that campfire? Oh gosh, uh, mid twenties, mid twenties, and and I'm forty seven now. How how and at what age do you think that uh, most endurance riders start getting into it? Is it varied? Is it something that older people get into? It is. That's, it's, that's the wonderful thing about endurance is you can be just about any age. There are junior riders that are you know seven eight years old. Nine, ten, uh, all the way up to to riders that are uh, um, even in their eighties. Um, I just rode um, this weekend with a rider that's in her seventies. Um, so that's the great thing is you can be any age and still do you know whatever works for you. If you want to do the, the limited distance rides and do twenty five, you can do fifties or multi days and hundreds. I, and I know one of your top competitors in endurance in here in the United States is a little bit older. From New Jersey, a certain doctor. I can't remember New her Jersey. last name. Can't remember her last name right now. Um, oh, Jeannie Waldron. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, 
I know that uh, it well, is... we're all we're all getting we're all getting older. So yes, I know. Me too. <laughs> Me too. But that is kind of interesting. We, you know, one of the neat things about horse sports in general is it's something you know we we see it on the driving side. I'm a driver, and we see it on the driving side, especially. It, you know, I we had a show yesterday, and we uh, brought out the results of a survey uh, for drivers, and the average age was in in the mid 60s. I mean, you know, horses are something that we can do forever. You know, that's one of the neat things about the sport that we do, as opposed to football and, you know, some of the other sports that you can't do forever. Yeah, they they definitely keep us going. Now, you got, so you got started in it, and when did you get your first Arab? Um, Well, I already had my first Arab. Um, You know, of course, I didn't know anything about endurance when I bought him. And it turned, he turned out to work out really great for me. I ended up riding him. Um, he did over 6,000 miles. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, so I, you know, kind of lucked into that, um, starting out with a horse that actually was suited for the sport. And, um, you know, I would go out and ride all day long. So just kind of going into endurance, you know, it worked out really well for us. We um, just, instantly fell in love and got addicted and here i am still riding i've now ridden uh, about over thirty-four thousand miles wow wow jennifer (laughs) (laughs) that's just hard to imagine that you know you get an oil change um going back to the whole uh age demographic thing a lot of different equestrian disciplines are struggling with the youth demographic in that they don't see younger riders or competitors coming into their sport, which is not a good sign because if you don't keep bringing young folks in, the old ones are going to die off and there you are. Is that right. something that the endurance the endurance community struggles with as well, or are you having um, more success than some of the others? Yeah, I think it is a little bit of an issue, you know, because it's, you know, we have, some junior riders, but most of the people coming into the sport are, are generally a little bit older. Um, and you're right, they're they're not coming in at, at the same level as previous, which, you know, kind of is resulting in declining numbers for the number of riders and the number of rides, because you have to have mm-hmm. enough, you know, entries to make a ride right. worth putting on. Yeah. So what is considered... Like if you went to a hunter-jumper show, you see kids competing from literally diapers on up, but you see lots and lots of them competing at, a, at about that two digits in their age group. What is a very young endurance rider? If you were to go to a non-championship level endurance ride, would you expect to see um, youth there in their teens, their early teens? What would you expect? It, it does vary different regions. Some of them have organizations where they have different requirements, where the children have to be a certain age. Most of the time, uh, you can be any age. There's been children as young as five, five that I know of that have wow. done, done rides. And I sponsored one junior. He was, I believe, only six, and he did a 65-miler. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's more unusual. You know, that's kind of on the unusual side. Most of them probably are eight or nine or ten when they first start doing a ride. Mm-hmm. The kids that's are pretty cool. They, they, do, they do really well at it. 
you know, one of one of the when they if they come off, they bounce. You know, they get right back. <laughs> right. On. I know. It, us we don't do that quite so well. <laughs> I guess it depends on what surface you're landing on, too. Hey, um, I wanted uh-huh. to, I wanted to ask you, you know, that I I brought it up earlier in the show, the time commitment, because you know when you're when you're practicing for any sport, when you're out there, you're doing the daily grind to get ready for competition. It is time consuming, but you guys are getting ready to do competitions that take, you know, 14 hours or, you know, depending on whether it's a 25, 50 or hundred mile race. So you're, 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 you know, you're doing, you're doing something that requires a lot more time. Is it a, is that a hard thing for people to, to overcome? can be a lot of people I think are under a false impression that it takes more time than it does. Although you do need to be able to commit. Uh, My goal is I try to set aside three hours a day for my horses so that if I can, some days if I can't do that, I try to make it maybe um, a longer day on a weekend or something and then a little shorter on another day. But I try to, get in two or three times a week where I can work with my horses and, you know, put that effort into um, riding and or training and doing, you know, some of the things that you need to do to have your horse ready to go to an endurance ride. You know, there's, there is a lot involved with when you're traveling and camping, group camping with other horses and stuff that your horse needs to learn. So, so there is a lot of effort that's required, but it's a great, you know, experience because while you're doing all that, you're really bonding with your horse and forming a relationship. Well, you so, know, Karen, yeah. on, a t- go on a typical off-season, you don't have any competitions coming up in the next 90 days or so. How much time might you spend actually riding your horse um, Monday through Friday, because if you're an event horse or a reigning horse, an hour and a half or so on the horse's back is kind of maximum on a given day. You would very, very rarely see somebody sitting on their horse more than an hour and a half, more typically an hour. Is is it right. a similar time frame for, for endurance, or is it a lot longer? Because I always had the impression that if you're getting ready to ride 50 miles in one day, you're going to be spending three hours a day every day on your horse. Well, no, not necessarily. And, and you know, that's one of the things you don't want to do is over-condition and work your horse too much so that they're tired out or that you create an injury or, or something that could come back and, and haunt you. With me, because I do compete year-round, I travel to different regions to ride during the winter, my horses tend to need a break more than they need to be continually conditioned. So it's just, it varies for everybody. But if you're competing, even if you're doing, say, one competition every four to six weeks, it's a good idea to let your horse have a break in between, you know, at least give them a a week or two where they're not doing any real serious work and then you kind of, you know, lay them back up and get them ready, you know, ride them. Um, I always like to ride mine at least a couple times a week before a ride. Now, do you always ride them on the trails or do you do ring work? Do you, you, do you do hill work? Um, Do you do sets or is it always trail riding? 
Um, that again, it varies completely based on you know the rider and the horse and where they're at. You know, a horse that's legged up that's already been competing or has competed for several years doesn't need to be worked as much as one that's just being brought along where you do want to keep a more consistent um, work schedule going for them. How do you, you know, especially we're going to get into talking about your Tevis Cup, which you did a couple of weeks ago. We had you on the show before the Tevis Cup, but we haven't had you on since. And I want to hear about your experience there. How do you condition? Because some of that gets up to pretty good heights. And, you know, there's a lot of endurance riders here in Florida that uh, ride around Ocala, actually, that winter here mm-hmm. and, and or live here all year long. And they can't really practice for the thin air of high altitudes here in Florida. How do you, is that something your horse has to get used to? Or is it something they, you know, they tolerate better than we do? What's the story with the altitude work? Yeah, horses horses do handle the altitude a lot better than we do, actually. Uh, Their spleens are really able to handle it. And so the horses do better with with higher altitude. And I'm fortunate I live at 5,000 feet. So my horses tend to go, you know, higher up or lower down to sea level without really noticing it at all. Um, but, you know, as riders, we have to be more careful with taking care of ourselves and, and acclimating and knowing that we're at, um, you, know, you know, in a different condition than we're used to. Well, let, we, we mentioned it a couple times. Let's bring it up. Let's find out about your ride at the Tevis Cup this year. And to remind people, Tevis Cup is like the Super Bowl for endurance riders here in the United States. It is the one, like you said, you know, it's the one that you always wanted to do. Uh, you're always aspiring to do the Tevis. I posted a picture on our uh-huh. Facebook page last night of you going up. Uh, what, what's the name of that uh, rocky incline? That's, that's, that's called Cougar Rock, and it, it, yeah, it's the famous you know, ride photo that everybody wants to get. <laughs> and it um, always gets a lot of comments <laughs> and shares because it's an, it's, yeah, an, you know, it, <laughs> it's amazing. And really it's just, it's not that big of a deal really. I mean, especially when you consider the entire course of the ride, that you're all the other things you're going through, it's really not that big of a deal, but the pictures are just really neat because of the way it's set up and you've got all that um, wide open um, country in the background. So it looks, um, you know, real intimidating, but it's it's really not all, you know, at least I've never thought it was that big of a deal compared to the rest of the ride where you're riding on the edge of, you know, literally cliffs and drops and there's a lot of other potential hazards on the trail that, that uh, make me more nervous than, than going over Cougar Rock. They just don't make very good a- pictures, I guess. <laughs> Right. Well, that's true because, you know, there's nowhere for the photographer to be. (laughs) So so it's 100 miles of, of, you know, some rugged terrain. And this was your fifth time this year? Yes. um, Five out of six times I've made it through. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's a little bit... You know, it's kind of a big deal because it takes so much preparation. It's a point-to-point ride, and it's not easily accessible. So your crews or whoever you have helping you, they have to do quite a bit of driving and the hurry up and wait, like we talked about the last mm-hmm. time we talked um, when I was getting, getting ready, um, getting prepared, putting it all together. But we ended up having a really nice 
time this year. I finished 25th. There were 160 starters and 75 finished. So 47% finished this year. Is that about typical? It is. It's about 50% or so completion rate. Now, is the majority of people who do not complete, is that mostly people who retire or people who they come to one of the vet checks and they get um, the vet gives them the thumbs down or is it how's that work right well I was just looking I just saw the results there um, like half of the polls were metabolic and half of the polls were lameness and then there were also several that were writer options which in Mm -hmm. that case it could be the writer or maybe they were running short on time and they knew they weren't going to be able to finish, so they opted mm-hmm. to pull. Um, but yeah. So certain, if the rider's lane, that just shows up as a rider's idea. <laughs> usually, yes, yeah, a rider option pull. For, they don't uh, keep track yeah. of rider lane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's probably some rider lane and some rider heat exhaustion and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> How do you say, I think they need an add, a, add a column to the results for rider metabolic and rider lane <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, now, that was something you said about heat exhaustion. It was hot this year, wasn't it? It was. It it definitely, I I think it caused me, I know, to slow down a little bit more than what I thought I might do, um, just to be extra careful with my horse, because it was um, hot, but it was also humid in some spots. They reported in the canyons that that it got as high as, um, I think, 118. Whoa! Uh-huh. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty. It, hot. it was hot, so so yeah. The rider really needs to pay attention to taking care of themselves in addition to their horse. Because if you don't take care of yourself, then you're not going to help your horse. Now, you what? Tell us about your horse, who you rode this time. Um, Bo. He this was his third time that he carried me through Tavis, and he gets better at it each time because you know he learns the trail, and I I've learned more and more to trust him. I, I think this is his seventh ride season or sixth or seventh ride season, and he's uh, real close to having 7,000 miles. Is that one of the it's hardest... Is that one of the hardest things is truly, you know, because a lot of riders in different disciplines, no matter what you're doing, you know, you're sort of in control and you're guiding the operation in, in endurance. You know, I, Jennifer, can you post this? I watched a video. I, I have the link in the show notes. It was a, a video that somebody did about seven minutes long. They did it from a helmet cam of the 2013 Vermont 100-mile endurance ride, and it was well edited. It was a pretty good video, but it shows them starting in the dark and ending in the dark. Talk about trust. You couldn't see anything. I mean, it was like completely dark, and they had this little light maybe on their helmet or, you know, and it just, there wasn't a lot of light. So is, does it take a while to, as you as a human, mentally to overcome and truly let your horse be the guide in, the, in a lot of these situations? It does, you know, and it's taken me a while to trust Bo enough that in the dark on Tevis, we're trying switchbacks you know, and it drops off way down below to the river canyon. And, you know, I've gotten to the point now where I just trust him. Um, I let him trot. He makes the turns on the switchbacks, and I can't see anything. (laughs) I just tell myself, well, he doesn't want to die either. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's funny. <laughs> and then, and then the other thing is, is I say, well, you know, if we do go off, it's going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> it won't be a long lingering death, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's a lot of comfort, Karen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so now, you were you happy with how Bo went this year? I mean, 25th is not too bad out of 160 rides. Right. Just to finish was great. You know, the year before, he, he was 23rd out of, I think, 204. But this year, you know, I was being extra careful because the heat and the humidity... It, it's not something that we're really used to riding in. So I was trying to be as careful as I could with him because I don't want anything to happen or him to have a problem. So, yeah, I was really happy that we finished and that he looked good at the end. And uh, he came home and he looked terrific. The next day I posted a photo on my blog of him and you would never know he did anything. He looked great. We're going to talk about your blog, which is uh, very popular in the endurance world here in just a minute. And we're also going to be, in a couple of minutes, talking to Sue Hedgecock. Sue is one of those stories that after you hear it and after you hear the interview that, that uh, we pre-recorded with her, you, you know, you're going to go away from that and go, I don't need to worry about the little things in my life. You know, it's just one of those stories right. that when you hear it, you realize that your problems aren't really problems at all. And we're going to do all of that in a couple minutes. But first, I wanted to bring up, we talked about this yesterday on Horses in the Morning. I wanted to bring up the, the, the ride of all endurance rides, the Mongol Derby. Uh, it's 1,000 kilometers in Mongolia. Uh, they, you're not riding your own horse. They, they provide you these little Mongol ponies that apparently aren't well broke, a lot of them. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, sound like it. <laughs> and you switch, you know, what is it every day or half a day or something, you're switching ponies. So you're getting to know new ones all the time. It is a, it is a hell of an endurance <laughs> ride. I, you know, is that something that you ever aspire to do going on the super endurance rides like that one? You know, probably not. You know, maybe when I, I was like the age of these young gals that did it this time and uh, they were 19, like 19 and 20. But, you know, once, like I said before, we just don't bounce as well anymore once we get older. And, you know, I, I don't really think I, I'm uh, up, up to doing that. I, I like, and of course, this is coming from someone who writes Arabs, so it is kind of ironic. But, but I do, you know, have a certain amount of trust in uh, all my horses, um, and I feel safe on them. So... I'm not sure I would want to go ride some of these little ponies that probably have um, different opinions about having yes. a rider on their back than my horses do. They have their own <laughs> issues. I got to tell you, we learned a little bit more about the winner. It was a 19-year-old girl by the name of Laura Pryor, uh, Laura Pryor Palmer. She's out of the UK. She actually came in second, but uh, there was an American rider, uh, Devin Horn, out of Texas, uh, who came in first, but the horse's heart rate did not recover well, and, and she was given a two-hour penalty, so she ended up uh, not being first. 
Laura actually at the end of her first uh, few uh, at the end of her first day she was last. She came in last the end of her first day. She thought she was uh-huh. out of it, so she said, "I just really wanted to finish." I uh, if you compare my first few days to the last few days, I was going much slower, and suddenly I got the hang of it and how to ride these horses and what to do <laughs> to catch up with the rest. So she figured it out in the last couple of days, and she you know then proceeded to uh, to end up winning the thing. There are 30 riders that started, only 15 uh, completed. Most of them fell off at some point or another. (laughs) And Laura has a quote, too. She had a bad fall herself on a horse that literally somersaulted when it went into a marmot hole. I I guess that's how you say that. I'm assuming it's some kind of weird uh, Mongolian gopher. Um, Jennifer, you're on mute again. Um, It's, It's a marmot. And it's a lot like a groundhog. Oh, there we go. Okay, good. Well, this is her quote. I, it had been bolting. That's her pony. It had been bolting, so it was going really fast, and then it landed on me, and I was so lucky not to get hurt. It was really intense and quite an exciting experience. Said by a 19-year-old, you know? Right. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> who got up and bounced. Who bounced, like you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> happened to me it wouldn't be such an exciting experience because <laughs> it'd be no bounce yeah, you're right i don't think it would be either uh-huh. uh also laura Pryor palmer for all of you eventers out there is the niece of uh the legend lucinda green the eventer lucinda green so she uh apparently horseback riding and good horsemanship runs in the family so congratulations again to her uh, what an amazing thing. They have 25 horse stations across there where they stop and pick up new horses. So it's it's not like you even get to, once you get used to your horse, they're giving you another one. I mean, you don't uh-huh. even get a chance. <laughs> you finally figure one out. It's like, I want to keep this one, please. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like some of them had a pretty wild ride. <laughs> So there's the ultimate in endurance rides. Well, before we get to our first guest, I wanted to talk to you a a little bit about one of the things that you guys, and I noticed on your blog too, that you spend a lot of time dealing with and talking about, and it's because you spend so much time in your saddle and you have to... You have to worry about your horses and keeping them healthy and making sure that uh, nothing happens to them and, and keeping them sound, which is hard enough for a dressage horse, let alone one that does 100 miles in the wilderness, is, you know, equipment. Equipment is something you guys talk about a lot. Right. It's definitely a very important thing because it can make the difference between success or failure. And I, I know you have, and we're going to talk a little bit later on to uh, to Candy and Deidre from Action Rider Tech, who are really in the endurance world. But one of the other things that really is important, and, and I was shocked about when we first started talking to you, is you're really a barefoot rider with the help of Renegade Hoof Boots. Yes, I keep my horses barefoot. They've both been barefoot. Um, well, both been barefoot since I got them. Chief's been barefoot. Almost from the start, he did do a season with um, shoes that were nailed on back in 2004. But since then, he's had his shoes pulled off and been wearing her boots ever since. And um, we love our renegades. They're um, well-made boots. They're made in the United States. And they've got a lot of um, features that work really well for us. They're easy to put on, easy to take off. Um, they've got nice 
uh, tread on them. So the horses, like if I'm going over Cougar Rock, for example, they have good traction uh, over that kind of stuff and over pavement. They uh, have a pivoting um, captivator that goes up over the back of the horse's uh, foot so that when the horse is moving, the boot is moving with the horse and makes it very comfortable for them. And, and because they fit that way, they don't cause any rubs or issues like that. Well, what's some and, of the other... And one other thing... Yeah, go ahead. They come. They come in like eight different colors. Yeah, they, they are cool looking. They look like sneakers for horses. Uh-huh. <laughs> they really, uh-huh. they really uh-huh. are cool. Now, so and I noticed you wear orange ones, right? Are you wear orange ones? Most of the time, yeah. orange. And I've been this this season. They're coming out. They've been working on a new model called the Viper, and it's just about ready for release. They're still making some, you know, final tweaks, you know, to the model and updates to it. And it's an improved version over the regular Renegade boot. And we've been using those all, almost all season and um, it, in lime green. So they're um, very visible. You, you know, you can't mistake them, but they're working out great. I've got this, this, these one set of Vipers that I've ridden on. Actually, I've been using them on both of my horses all season. And I've got a about close to a thousand miles on him, and the tread is just lasting nearly forever. Well, now you know. I know one of the things about the Renegade specifically is that uh, Kurt, the guy who runs the place over there, really spent a lot, and I mean many tens of thousands of hours testing them and really trying to, you know, with endurance horses and really trying to make them a boot that would serve that community. But I noticed that yesterday. My sister-in-law, who lives here in Florida, you know, we went over. She drives her horse. She has a carriage and drives. And I went over, and I noticed these bright orange boots on the on her horse. And I went, are those renegades? And she said, yep. So I, a lot okay. of carriage drivers are starting to use uh, renegades as well as any other discipline, and just trail riders, for that matter. It just They've become very popular recently. Right, because they are so easy to, to put on and take off. On some of the rides, if we have really good footing, I don't always even use the boot. But if I get to a spot where I know it's the footing's going to change, I can hop off and put four boots on my horse in the time it takes him to drink. It, it, they're really quick to put on and to remove. And, and then the rest of the time, my horses get to be barefoot. So it's kind of the best of um, both worlds. Well, you can find out more about the Renegade Hoof Boots just by going to renegadehoofboots.com. Well, Karen, we had an opportunity earlier because she's she's actually out on a ride right now. Uh, so we had to pre-record an interview. And I want you to tell us about Sue Hedgecock. Okay, Sue has quite an interesting story. She persevered and endured quite a lot in, in her personal life. Um, which, you know, um, it, it's quite the story. She started in 1993. She started to have um, some belly aches and pains in her, in her stomach and ended up, um, turned out what it turned out to be was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. She had cancer. She ended up having the lump removed and then started to have more pain a couple years after that. And so ended up having to go through chemo. Um, she got really sick 
going through the chemotherapy um, and ended up having to quit, you know, receiving it because it was making her too sick. So she, she's endured quite a lot. One of the things she told me was that all this cancer treatment was just so barbaric and hard on her. So she ended up um, getting through that, um, you know, working through the, the cancers and the therapies. And, and then um, last summer, her, her husband, Tony, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Oh, and in the last year, he's gone through 38 radi- uh, 32 radiation treatments himself wow. in the last year. And so in spite of, you know, her and her husband both having cancer, she still managed to make it to Tevis this year. And not only make it to Tevis, but she topped 10 and won the Hagen Cup. Well, we're going to learn more about that as we talk to Sue Hedgecock. So let's take a listen to her amazing story. Again, what I said earlier in the show is true. When you when you hear everything that she's been through, and then she still manages to do the 100-mile Super Bowl of endurance riding at Tevis, makes you think, you know, all my little problems aren't that bad after all. Let's take a listen. Exactly. Well, hello. We're talking to Sue Hedgecock this morning. Well, congratulations on your top 10 finish and your Hagen Cup win at the Tevis. That was a well, great thank accomplishment. You. you did. Thank you yeah. um, for, for joining us, too. Um, we'd like to hear more about your horse and about you and your history. So um, tell us about your horse, Julio's Last Chance, and how did you come to get him? Well, Julio um, is a gray horse that is off the racetrack, and he was in Colorado. And I was curious to know what the um, mentality and the um, athleticism was that made a good uh, a good track horse and a good endurance horse. And so I uh, called a man by the name of Jerry Parton and asked him to be on the lookout for me for... Um, I like gray horses and for no special breeding, but a horse that had been on the track. And um, Just to clarify, so we're talking Arabian racing, right? Yes, Arabian track racing. And, I didn't think um, you did this on a thoroughbred, but I was just checking. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. no. <laughs> anyway, um, he's got long legs, and when he arrived here, um, he was like trying to hang on to a kite. I mean, he was up in the air and all over the place. And I found out after I got him that he did not like the track. He did okay there. I think he had one win. And I just thought he was kind of um, slow maturing mentally and physically. Um, so I really took my time with him. I've had him for six years and, and done quite a bit with him. Uh, and he now has 2,000, more than 2,000 miles competing on with his record. I guess mostly I just fell in love with Julio's personality, even mm-hmm. though he was uh, kind of um, not wild, but real high energy in the beginning. He's turned out to be very even Stephen and very mature uh, as a 12-year-old, even as a 10-year-old. Uh-huh. Um, I, I do have so. a question for you about that, uh, Sue. With uh, endurance horses, you know, he is 12 years old. It, 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 what age do they, can they go to? 
Well, they can keep on going as far as, um, you know, if they're sound or if they are um, having no metabolic issues. Um, they're just like any good, strong athlete that can just keep right on trucking. And I, I know Joy Sousa's horse has done 3,400s, right, Karen? I think it's some, it's over 30, I think, yes. And I, isn't he um, around 20 years old? He's 20 years wow. old. And he has mm-hmm. um, how many thousand miles documented on him? And he's been on the uh-huh. US team. And, you know, they are real partners, too. I, I um, try to keep my competitive miles low on my horse. I do a lot of training here in Park City and a lot of riding, but... Um, I don't ever expect I'll have 5,000 miles on one horse. And how many, how, many, how many years have you been riding Julio now? Well, uh, gosh, six years. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he's got about 2,000 miles on him, but he's been through a number of U.S. team trials, and he's been on um, the long list for two trials, uh, two, two teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he went through like an 80-mile test and another test somewhere, I can't remember where it was, in a training, and, um, you know, so, and then he's got all the training here that we do at home. Uh, and uh, it was, this his, was this his first Tevis? Yes, it was his first Tevis. And what um, oh. made you decide that you wanted to take him to, to do Tevis? I've always wanted to, to do Tevis with him. I've wanted mm-hmm. uh, for three years to get there. And things have come up in, with our family or whatever that have not allowed it. And this year there was an opportunity to, to go with a friend. And so I jumped on and and uh, went with her. And, uh, you know, it was, I seized the moment, or we did. Julio and I were physically uh-huh. fit because we had such a fast. We did a lot of speed last year, but we missed two months of uh competition because my husband was sick and now he's doing better and so I thought okay. this year it would be nice to flip-flop with long slower miles and not as much racing so that's why we went to Tevis we got lucky with a ride and he was ready now, I was just going to say uh, Karen told me a little bit uh, something I found absolutely fascinating I think the listeners will too you know, a lot of these guys, and we've interviewed them in the past, uh, you know, arrive at Tevis with teams of 20 people and vehicles and, and you know, they're, they got all the equipment, they're all set up. How, what kind of support team did you have at Tevis? I was picked up by Sue Basham here. She's from Cheyenne. She came to my house in Park City where we live right along I-80. And so we had an agreement that during the race day and prior to, I wouldn't get in her way and she had wanted to uh, do well with her mayor who topped 10 last year. And uh, so I thought, well, that's fine. I'm just going to go and ride. Um, I, it was interesting. I stayed really relaxed about all of that because you do need some help. But um, then some things changed, and Tara Rothwell from Boise, another friend that I ride with, um, offered to, if, I, if we rode together, she offered her crew. And I said, well, that's fine. I just need my bag at uh, two places, at um, Robinson Flat and at Forest Hill. And so I thought, well, that'll be fine. And so I was all set, you know. And But Tara got pulled at um, Red Star Ridge. And, and that's, that's early in the ride. That's before any other checks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And um, and that's just a, a stop and well, it's not a stop and go. You have to reach a criteria there, and the criteria is low. It's at sixty, and uh, so we we got through that um, really fast. And you can't stay there in Red Star and wait for your buddy because it's a kind of a small area, and it get you get congested. So I waited on the other side of the the uh, vetting. And uh, she didn't show up, so I got on and left. Uh, it was kind of hard on her horse to split up, but um, I don't know. You just can't. Horses have to be ready for Tevis. They have to be able mm-hmm. to meet criteria. They have to be manageable. And he was a little bit nervous and anxious up to that point. So uh, I left them, and, and they were pulled. And uh, from there on out, I more or less just rode my ride with Julio didn't try to rush up front or anything like that. We just wanted to ride. And so what happened when you came into Robinson's flat, the first uh, hour hold? Um, there's no crew there for me. Uh, there's <laughs> a little bit of a problem with people offloading stuff. Um, in fact, not everything. Well, there was enough of my crew bag there for me to do fine. But... Um, I guess it got congested and the traffic got difficult and you had to get there real early to get everything off. But I just came in, got off Julio, um, didn't see anybody I knew and uh, or that was crewing me. And so I pulled my saddle, left it on the, the road, and then I asked for help from a volunteer. Can you show me where I go here? Because I always get confused uh-huh. exactly where the lanes are and everything. So uh-huh. um, I wanted to get Julio to some hay and water. And um, she brought me in. We got our ticket. We went down uh, to a cooling area. And then all of a sudden, Bethany and Flora, the two young girls that were crewing for, for us, uh, showed up. And, um, and I said, well, my saddle's up there on the road, but I need some food for Julio. And somebody uh-huh. handed me a handful of, of alfalfa, and he chowed down, and we went right on in. And Fortunately, there was nobody in front of us in the line. There's nobody around us, and he's so professional, he just went right in. Great. Okay. And then after you left that check, how did the rest of the ride go for you? It went pretty well. Um, We spent quite a bit of time at Chicken Hawk because there was a really good soupy um, mix that they had made, uh, the the, uh, volunteers had made the horses and I just let him eat. I think we spent about 20 or 30 minutes there. I don't know because I haven't seen my the clock in and out for any of, any of the rides. And I was behind Clydea Hasty when we left. Uh, we went uh-huh. down into El, El Dorado Canyon and Clydea was having trouble so we finally got her off her horse and sitting down, uh, she had heat stroke uh-huh. and Julio, Julio and I went down and um, we told the guys at the bottom of El Dorado that we were, we had a friend back up there that was in trouble. We needed help. And um, uh-huh. so then I left and took off and continued on my ride. And, and Julio just was looking around every corner and just wanting to go down the trail. And he was awesome. Uh-huh. That's the best ride ever, Great. I think. That's wonderful. And so tell us about your um, vet check at Forest Hill. Forest Hill was easy. The crew girls were there to um, to meet us, and I pulled mm-hmm. a saddle and hosed uh, Julio off completely at that um, at that uh, water spot there as you come in, 
and we went on up, and we went right on in, and nobody was around. Mm-hmm. It was terrific, and it was fairly straightforward and easy. I stayed back from those front runners because, boy, there's a lot of, you know, it's just intense. And I uh-huh. just wanted to enjoy my ride with Julio across the Sierras. <laughs> She was out for a nice trail ride that day. He had a blast. And I have to say that, you know, I kept myself electrolyted, and I was drinking those tall bottled waters. Um, I'd had three of them. Every time I came into any of the stop-and-goes or any of the holds, I made sure those Mm -hmm. were full, and I was electrolyting myself with tablets from Redmond's Redmond. And, um... And some others, and I just kept doing that all day long and eating a little bit along the way. And Julio was, I mean, I kept him electrolyted, and he was drinking well and eating really well. And, um, uh, were you were you surprised? You know, you came in the top ten, right? Yeah, it was eight. Yeah. Um, were you surprised to get the, the best physical condition award? Well, oh, gosh, it's very emotional for me because I... Uh, I, I, I was overwhelmed. Mostly, I was overwhelmed. Uh, it's very gratifying. It's a very, it was a very uh, huge honor for me. Um, I, every time you go to an endurance ride or you get around people that you're competing or riding with, you learn something. Right. And it and just seems. Can you guys t- tell me? What that mean? What this award? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to get across to people who haven't done endurance riding, what that award? Yeah, it's neat to come in first. You know, obviously your competitors, everybody wants to do that. But tell everybody what that award means to you, as an endurance rider. To me, it means all the people that in my life that have had something to do with horses that have taught me something or helped me or it's it's all it's it's about all of us. I I don't know. It's really a grand recognition for me as an individual. It's it's prestigious. It's uh, about sportsmanship. It's about your horse and the way he looks, his best condition. You know the way he was managed from the time you got there until the time you were judged. Uh, it's like a combination of what, how they judge um, NATRAC or CTR, which are two other disciplines that, are, that combine some endurance. Um, and it's about just being, I don't know, just having a great day. Um, right. and, 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 it's, and you're judged not just, it's not just the veterinary committee, but there's an entire cup committee that also is um, influencing the vote on who receives the Hagen Cup, which is based on sportsmanship and horsemanship as well as the overall condition of the horse. So it, it really encompasses um, a lot of, of everything that went into what Sue did, all the work leading up to, to getting Unmuted. to the ride and then competing and having a successful journey. So it's, uh, again, congratulations, Sue. What a, um, a, a great uh, um thing to uh to win i mean that's just awesome yeah it's a it's a very pinnacle of achievement for my horse experiences and um 
Was there? Uh-huh. Now I know. I know. Uh, you you said in an article I read recently that for me it's an addiction, and we always talk about the fact that we're all addicted uh, to horses, and that it is an addiction. And us horse husbands especially know that. Now, my question for you is this: You know, through the cancer and everything, was there ever a time when you said, "I, I don't think I'm going to do the horses anymore," or was it, no, no, okay. no, never, never. And but I do have second thoughts sometimes when I acquire my my magical limit of horses here is seven or eight, mm-hmm. and then I get overwhelmed, and then I feel I have to place <laughs> them or something, and I drop back down to three or four. And then I feel totally naked, and then I have to get back up to. I'm trying you are an really, ass too. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to manage that, but it's hard in the wintertime because uh, my husband and I are in the ski industry, and uh, you know I have to go back and forth to work up there on the ski hill, and I look at my horses standing in there, uh, out there in their blankets in the snow, four feet of snow, and I think, what on earth am I doing? And I sold my round pen, and I've sold some big items around here. Um, but now I'm back to starting colts again, and and I have three youngsters. I'm bringing them up, and I got to go borrow some of these round pens, <laughs> you know. Cause, um, and I have no business doing this at my age, but um, I just love it. I love it, and it's peaceful, and it's um, it's where I'm where I'm at right now. It keeps me in the moment. It keeps me not thinking about all those little nitpicky things that. You might think about if you're dealing with, um, you know, disease. So uh, it's a great therapy. Be, yeah, it's a terrific. It's a terrific place to be, and you got to have a certain amount of skills. And I, I do have a few skills that work, and and you know, hopefully, it keeps me safe because I don't want to get in trouble. Well, thank you so much, Sue, for talking to us today. We really appreciate it, and we're so proud of you and Julio. And I'll look forward to seeing you at a ride sometime soon. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that was Sue Hedgecock, and what an amazing story of a woman who, you know, went through a bout of cancer and then her husband and still managed to ride the Tevis Cup this year and do very, very well at it. You're listening to Horses in the Morning. I am Glenn Geek. I am here with Karen Chatton, endurance rider, and, of course, Coach Jen is producing today. We are brought to you today by Action Rider Tech. What, you know, one of the things that is so, so, so important to endurance riders is the tack because they spend so much time in it. What's, and by the way, I have a funny comment. Uh, my co-host normally on the morning show is Jamie Jennings. And Karen, she said, in the picture I posted of you climbing that rocky hill during uh, Tevis, uh-huh. she said, is she wearing pants? Because you had a very flesh-colored uh, <laughs> pair of breeches on there, let me tell you. <laughs> well, that was last year. This year I, I wore my wild tights. I had the most colorful um, print I could find, and I was much more colorful this year. Okay, so we are we can assure Jamie and everybody else that saw that picture quickly that you do not ride naked uh, during the Tevis Cup. Just saying. No, those okay. were just light colored tights. Okay, tall. good, good, yeah. good. Glad to hear it. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I'll tell you well, what, I was some, getting a. Some t- Go ahead. I'm do sorry. ride in shorts, and and they do look. Um, yeah. Chafing. Wow. <laughs> I like to be covered up. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about equipment and about the things that are needed for endurance riders. And there's a store that helps you all do that very well. And we met them many times at Ada and have a great time spending time with them at the American Equestrian Trade Association show coming up this weekend, actually. And we have Deidre here from Action Rider Tech. Let me see if I can get her on. Good morning, Deidre. Good morning, Glenn. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. You know, we were, we've talked a couple times throughout the show today how important tack and, and wardrobe is to riders in endurance because they spend so much time in it. Uh, and it has to be Absolutely. comfortable and, you know, you, uh, you, have to, you, you know, you have to want to wear it. So with Action Rider Tack, obviously you take all of that into consideration and it, it become, that's why you, you sort of specialize in that is to helping them to get the most comfortable ride they can get. Well, yes, absolutely. Well, Candace Kahn, she, she's my mom, and she started the company. And one of the reasons she started it was, one, she's an endurance rider, so she already knows, you know, that whole idea of sitting, spending so much time in the saddle and needing to be comfortable. And she decided she wanted to go out and find the best equipment, the most comfortable equipment, test it, and then offer it to other endurance riders and hopefully find some things that you couldn't find anywhere else. And now, you guys, obviously, this isn't all you do. You sell, you know, anybody can buy this tack, not just endurance riders. But tell us about... Yeah, we don't discriminate. No, I <laughs> didn't think you did. <laughs> uh, so tell us about what is no different. What is different about it? What's different? I know you have a line of saddles that you really like. I, what's different about it? Well, we have the world's largest selection of treeless saddles, uh, importing treeless saddles from all over the world, actually, and carrying quite a number of lines that are in the United States as well. And uh, again, they've all been tested. Um, many of our saddles have been worn in Tevis. I know you were just talking about Tevis yep. brief time yep. ago. And uh, Freeform is one of those, uh, barefoot, that have been worn in Tevis and done quite well. We have people that absolutely swear by them. But besides that, we just make sure that the equipment that is being used has been tested and that it's comfortable. Our overriding theme of everything that we do when we look for tack and put it on the shelves is to make sure that it is that it allows you to be one with your horse. That's really important to us. And, uh, you know, I, there's a bunch of different things when it comes to tack that, that we're going to talk about in future episodes here. Uh, on the endurance day and endurance talk on horses in the morning. But w- one of the other things we take a look at is the rider. You know, we were talking about her, her, uh, her flesh colored breeches in that picture. Um, you know, that's the other thing you really, ha- I can't imagine wearing shorts for a hundred miles, but you really have no, to be I concerned about how comfortable you are as a rider too. Oh, absolutely. And where the seams are is incredibly important. <laughs> and whether the fabric is breathable or it's true. <laughs> Karen, do you worry about seams? Oh, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The great thing with Action Rider Tech is if they're ever at a, a show or a convention and you go to the, their booth, you always know they're always going to have the latest and greatest and the best stuff. I always love oh, going and looking at their stuff. Now, you, lose, you guys use a lot of non-leather, too. Talk about that a little bit, Deidre. Yeah, absolutely. We use some... Uh, we work with... Biothane and beta, um, talking about some of the synthetic materials. I'm sorry? Zilco. And Zilco. Yep. Uh, which, 
is really great for endurance because you spend so much time, it spends so much time on the horse and you have issues of dirt and sweat and it makes it so easy. After 100 miles, the last thing you want to do is sit down with a bar of soap and soap up your leather equipment. So you can just, you know, spray it down with some water and you're done. Do you I want to use a dishwasher. That's what I do with mine and it comes Oh yeah, there you go. And really? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, never thought about that. And of course, you know, biothane has come a long way. I'm a driver and we started using, you know, our harnesses. We started using biothane years ago and it was it was stiff and crumbly and it was awful. And that is it's not like that. Oh, yeah. Anything like that anymore. That was 20 years ago. It's great stuff. It just you know, you almost have to get a new horse in order to justify buying a pack because it lasts and lasts. <laughs> yeah, it is wonderful. And and one of the advances as well is that it's become much more pliable. Right. It's soft. And you know what? And they made it, and I know this sounds silly, but in driving it really counts. They made it look, it looks like leather now. If you're 5, 10 feet away, you're going to have a tough time telling. Yes. Unless you're an endurance rider, we found that most endurance riders like to have the bright colors. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But outside of that, yes, we do carry a line that looks very, very similar to leather. Yeah. Well, tell us, where where can people go to find your store, and can they buy the stuff online? Absolutely. We actually have most of our sales online. You can just go to actionridertac.com and order anything you'd like. And I know one of our... We also have a... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, we also have a staff of specialists on call that you can call and ask any question if you're curious about something or can't find something you're looking for. We have a staff that, that can help. And that's important, too, because I was telling Karen before the show, we've gotten a lot of response from listeners who would like to get into endurance, even at the lower levels. Uh, you know, just don't, maybe don't have aspirations to ride Tevis, but they want to do a 25-miler or, you know, just get in on the basic levels. So if they call mm-hmm. you, is that, you know, you need some guidance, you know, when it comes to tack and clothing and things like that when you're getting into a new sport. So is that something you can help them with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the wonderful things is that we have so many people in different areas of um of horsing or, or horse riding. And we have several people that are endurance riders. We have one that's a dressage rider. So we have we have people on staff that can answer questions for you. And we also run a blog where we do videos and talk about the different equipment that is offered and the types of questions you need to ask and what to look for. Very good. Well, we'll be talking to you more in the future months ahead about different product lines in more detail. We just wanted to get to meet you today. So it's Action Rider Tech. And uh, you guys going to Ada, Ada while I see you this weekend? Not this weekend, Glenn. I'm going to miss you terribly. Uh, I look forward to seeing you guys every time. We walk over there right away. I know. We do, too. We do, too. Next time, then. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Deidre. It's Action Rider Tech. Take a look for it. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, Deidre. Bye-bye, Karen. Okay, our next guest is Patty Stedman. She lives in New York, and she's an AARC Board of Director member. She's also a ride manager and a rider. She grew up riding and got into endurance. And then, interestingly enough, she met her husband, and they got married, and she started crewing for him when he was riding endurance. And then in an interesting turn of events, 
she now has more miles than she does. <laughs> See, this so, was reverse. Um, this was reverse because it's usually it's usually the wife that's into <laughs> the horses and the guy that's the horse husband. Here we had the reverse, and then and then like me, you get into horses, and then I start spending more money on mine than Jennifer's, and then it gets to be a problem. See, with Patty, it was the exact opposite, wasn't it? Now. She gets, she gets uh-huh. to spend all the money. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, now they're both in it together, so oh, I guess okay. that's a good, good. They're a good pair. So, and, and now um, you, you anyways. go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was just going to welcome Patty to the show. Good morning, Patty. Morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's exciting to be here. Well, let's uh, let's talk about endurance. We um, this is our first show talking about it, and so let's explain to the listeners a little bit about it. And I, I know you'd be a good person to do that because you've worked on some of the endurance clinics, getting people introduced to the sport. So tell us a little bit about AERC and endurance riding. Excellent. Well, I think I, I think it's funny that I got asked to to, to be on the radio show because. Karen has all these massive and amazing achievements, and Sue won the Hagen Cup, and I am a to finish is to win. I am the person that proves you can be a chunky, middle-aged dressage rider and go out and ride 100 miles. <laughs> and so, I, you know, that's kind of what I bring to the table. I mean, my... But my I can relate to you, Patty. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got into the sport because I was teaching dressage part-time, and I met this lovely gentleman at the barn where I taught, and he, just like any good horse person would recommend, he had decided to buy a three-year-old unstarted Arabian stallion, <laughs> um, even though he had never actually ridden a horse. Oh, jeez. Um, that always yeah, ends well. He had, he, had, <laughs> he had read about, about endurance and equus, and he had aspirations to do endurance, and I got pulled along for the ride. So uh, who knew that I would end up doing the sport myself? You know, we have, for the new listeners to Horses in the Morning, anytime when a subject like that comes up, you know, the, the brand new rider buys a three-year-old Arab, we have a little snippet of a song for you that we play. Green on green oh, makes black great. and blue, wouldn't ride that horse if I were you. It's like walking on a hot tight wire, dynamite too close to fire. Does that sound about right? It's <laughs> exactly right. I used to sit on the mounting block after I taught my lessons, and I would sit there with my phone dialed to 911, ready to press send, and he would come out and work the horse we did he had him gelded very very quickly and he's actually was my husband's first endurance horse and he has well over a thousand ERC miles so it worked out they both they were a wonderful they have been a wonderful wonderful match obviously he has no <laughs> but, fear <so laughs> no very little fear very little fear at all but the amazing thing about endurance is that i think Anybody, any age, any breed of horse that is reasonably sound, metabolically sound, and enjoys going down the trail, any age of rider can participate in this sport. I mean, in my region, uh, we have a horse named Old Meadow Jim, who is a 26-year-old quarter horse who has over 3,000 AERC miles. He continues to go down the trail, and in fact, his owner does hunter paces with him, and apparently he's an absolutely out-of-control rebel um, if, he, <laughs> if he gets into a racing situation. So it, is, it just goes to speak that if you have the will and you have the interest in learning an awful lot about your horse um, and you know, willing to put in some sweat equity, 
anybody, anybody can do endurance. Well, Patty, that means that my wife, who Jennifer, who's on here with us, she has a big fat quarter horse and she's wanted to get into the lower levels of endurance. Now you can tell her that she can. She absolutely can, and I can tell her how. So if you go to the AERC webpage, uh, www.aerc.org, uh, there are tabs that show education. There are tabs for new riders. Uh, and one of the things that we're doing across the country, and we've tried to formalize it a little bit, is doing endurance clinics, both unmounted clinics just to teach people about the ropes and tell them a little bit about how the sport works, and then mounted clinics, which are really a terrific first step before going to your first ride because you get to go to go someplace, you get to camp, and for some of the riders, it's their first time ever camping with their horse. You get to mm-hmm. do a vet check, you get to go on on a, on a loop, and you get to learn how to pace your horse and trail etiquette, and then you learn how to handle your horse coming into the vet check, what your horse should eat, how to keep them cool, how to get their pulse down. It's a fantastic opportunity, and we're trying to do more intro-level rides, fun rides around the country to lead people into limited distance. And then if they want, hey, they can go do 50s, they can go do 100s. I I was blessed when I got into the sport that uh, I did some LDs and I did some competitive trail rides, and there were people around me who looked at me and looked at, at the horse I had and they said, you know, you should do a 50. And so I did. I did a 50 and I did a 50 <laughs> for a few seasons. And then there were people who looked at my horse and said, hey, that horse is a 100-mile horse. You should do a 100 miles with that horse. And I did. And if you had told me at the start of this journey that I would ever do this without anybody chasing me with a gun or a big weapon, you know, <laughs> I never would have believed it. It is one of the most fulfilling things I have ever done in my life. Okay, Patty, let's start talking about the uh, limited distance and how um, that pertains to the sport and and how it's often a um, starting point for new riders. Excellent. Well, limited distance ride is sanctioned by AERC, and it is a ride that's total length uh, measures anywhere from 25 to 35 miles in length. We also recognize, but don't necessarily sanction, intro rides, which can be rides of any length shorter than that. So the neat thing about the limited distance rides is that you're often there with people who are either um, learning the sport themselves or they've decided that this is the distance for them. And so uh, it's, it's a shorter ride. You're not jumping right into a 50. Uh, the ride time is roughly five to five and a half miles per hour, which most horses uh, can complete by doing about half trotting, half walking, I would say is probably at least a pretty mm-hmm. good starting point. So it's a nice ride. It's a nice introduction to the sport, or it's a place where, like I said, people do compete all over the country and stay at that limited distance level. Mm-hmm. Great. And how long did it take you till you moved up to doing, like, say, 100? Well, I did some competitive trail riding, which is a judged event. At the same time, I was doing some limited distance riding. And I'd say I did about two seasons. So, you know, my horse at that point, and and like Karen had said before, and I think this is a really important point, the the toughest time or the the most um, disciplined time when you're bringing along a new horse is in that first year or so where you're doing all that long, slow distance and you're being measured Mm -hmm. about the work you're doing, the speed you're keeping, and the terrain 
machine you're using and then resting the horse between your, your work schedule. Um, and once you have that sort of base on a horse, I think that what surprises most people is how easy the jump is from a limited distance ride to a 50-mile ride for the horse. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. it's a little tougher for the rider. Uh-huh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And same thing with 50 to 100. My joke about going from a 50 to 100 is that physically it's not that much harder. Mentally, I think it is much, much harder to do 100 than a 50. But I'm sore in all the same bits after 100 (laughs) as I am after a 50. Now, let me ask you guys, both of you. uh, So when you're bringing up horses through dressage ranks or in eventing or wherever, driving, you're competing at the lower levels anyway. Are your lower levels then, do you start a horse when you're bringing them up at the 25? and then you'll do 25s and then you'll do 50s and then you'll bring them up that way? Is that the same as our beginner novice, our novice, our training, that kind of thing? It's a little bit, yeah. It depends, I think, on the experience of the rider as to where they choose to start the horse. Okay. Yeah, I think there are there are a lot of kind of what I would call veterans or old timers in our sport who started out with hundreds, which to me is just just an amazing, daunting thing that they started with hundreds. And I think what you see in the in the the limited distance rides now is that you have a cross range of riders. You have people who are young riders, young horses, or bringing a horse back from an injury, um, and then they're planning to move up in distance. Or you have riders who prefer the limited distance. They like it. That is the distance of choice. And then I think we also have Mm -hmm. some of those veterans who started with 100 miles who are getting a little older or their horse is getting a little older. And in fact, my old 100-mile horse is going to be my limited distance horse now because that seems appropriate, you know, as he's aging. Mm-hmm. And you still get to be out there and experience all the fun. Absolutely. gets to He has a very healthy ego and nothing makes him feel, feel better than knowing <laughs> he's going out there. And he wins every ride. He's convinced. <laughs> I know that's the best part, isn't it, that, that our horses just love this? Absolutely. I think that is, I think that is, you know, I think I always tell people that the thing that I think most closely um, links dressage and endurance for me is that they are both require like this incredible attention to detail and then this also profound satisfaction over something that might seem really, really silly or little. But you, you get to focus on the horse and you get this amazing relationship with your horse and there's nothing like finishing a 100-mile ride in the dark, just you and your horse out in the moonlight finishing, knowing that you've done something that so many or so, so few horses and riders have done before. It's just an amazing, amazing mm-hmm. feeling. Can I ask a question for a listener uh, who posted on our Facebook page? And she said, and I know this, I know this listener is very active. She's a serious bike rider, a serious horseback rider. But she has a question that I think Jennifer is asking, too. Um, Glenn, can you ask about camping at an endurance event? This is what worries me the most about endurance events. It seems overwhelming to me. No stalls like at a horse show. And I'm going to add no showers like in a hotel. So I'm throwing that in. Um, go ahead. <laughs> There's no room service either. Ah, see, that rules it out right there. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer. You're lucky you've got a neighbor who will feed you. I'm not Um, on the crew, Jennifer. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that that probably is the biggest source of trepidation for the riders that I've had coming through the clinics that I've done is about camping. 
And what I can tell you is that when it comes to camping safely, really it's whatever works. So there are a wide variety of ways that people keep their horses safe overnight, whether it is an electric paddock or it's a high tie system that attaches to their trailer or it's a series of panels that they use. And there are, I think our national mileage champion from 2012 just ties her horse to the trailer with a hay bag. So, you know, a wide variety. It is really, really important that you know how to camp safely with your horse. And I often, you know, Mm -hmm. tell people, if you're going to use an electric paddock, do it at home first or do it at home first in your riding ring and set it up and make sure it works or tie Mm -hmm. your horse to your high tie at home. Or I know Karen advocates using hobbles, teaching your horse to hobble so that they do better being tied. You might have some more to add to that too, Karen. Right. That way they're, they're, they've been taught to not fight if they do get tangled up in something because that's all important training, you know, for when you are camping because, you know, you might think you have control over your horse, but you don't have control over the other people's horses in camp. So, you know, anything can happen, but if you prepare, you know, ahead of time, and and I've also um, posted some blog posts on on this topic about um, pre-training your horse ahead of time at home, just like Patty mentioned, that's all um, important stuff. And and that's, again, why endurance riding is so educational because you don't realize it, but you're learning an awful lot of stuff in order to go and compete in endurance. Absolutely. So, Patty, and, you know, oh, sorry. Um, on, further on this question, because the camping idea intrigued me as well. Um, so when you show up at an endurance event, is it easy? For somebody who's at the, the lower or beginner levels, do you always camp or do people sometimes come to an endurance event, compete, and then go home? That's a great question. So in the Northeast, we actually have some endurance rides that are, are conducted out of facilities that have stalls at fairgrounds and that sort of thing. So for somebody who's new to the sport, that's fantastic because they come, they put their horse in a stall, and they're relieved of the burden of having to camp at their first ride. Um but it, 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 a couple other things, too, it, it, it always helps. Well, it's, and some rides will allow riders to start a little bit later so that they can trailer in if they're close by and then go home after the ride. So mm-hmm. it depends on, on which ride you're, you're selecting. One of the things I always encourage people is that if you have a buddy, I mean, I was lucky. I got into the sport with my husband, so we were in it together. And his job was he took care of the stuff, and I took care of everything that, that had a pulse and breathe. So, you know, we sort of have a division of duties. And if you kind of get into the sport with somebody who is either a mentor to you or is someone who, like you, is just getting into the sport, now have two horses together, you're using a system together. And most of the time, you know, horses are herd animals. If they're camping with their best buddy horse that they go down the trail with and they're in paddocks side by side, they're usually pretty happy horses. Um, and so, you know, the, the different ways, different, and my big motto with this sport is always whatever works, whatever works. Mm-hmm. What do you do, Karen? So what kind uh, of, oh, sorry, Jennifer, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just curious because like you said, Glenn, you're out of it if we have to camp. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to find it. Um, again, would, and it, because these competitions are held all over the country, I'm sure you come across a wide variety of situations for, again, smaller events that aren't Tevis Cup, would 
someone who does not have a living quarters trailer be able to camp typically? Can you can you camp out of the back of your pickup truck with a cap? Are there bathroom facilities? Tell us talk a little bit about that. It it really all depends on the ride. Some of the some of the rides have a ton of accommodations and Taj Mahal sort of things where there's showers and there's bathrooms and there's stalls mm-hmm. for the horses. And others you're just talking about a big wide open field, absolutely yeah, primitive camping and mm-hmm. yeah, you you better bring it with you. But I think most <laughs> of us who started the sport you know, and you go to a, a camp today and you'll see everything from two horse tag along trailers being pulled by a pickup truck and their riders are sleeping in a tent or in the truck itself or in the trailer itself, everything to you go, and boy, there are some massive, Karen, I'm sure can share, some huge, massive living quarters trailers that you see um, as well. So the, it, it runs the gamut. And most of the time what's important is that the horse is safe and the rider is comfortable enough that even if they don't get a great night's sleep, they have reasonably somewhere to get out of the weather and, and survive until they get to do the ride. Yeah, we don't want to get too comfortable, though, because then it's really hard to get up and still ride, especially if the weather is not good. <laughs> That's an interesting point of view, yeah. Karen. I don't know. All right. So we got to be miserable all night, so we want to get up and ride. That's... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just not too comfortable. You know, comfortable enough. <laughs> well, Patty, where... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Nope, you go ahead. I was just going to say, we, we, we run out of time here. Where where can people find out more? You mentioned the website, but can you can you bring it up again? Sure. It's www.aerc.org, O-R-G. So that is the American Endurance Ride Conferences webpage and there are a million links from there. There are a number of endurance riders including Karen who blog, I blog, so there are there are just so many resources. The World Wide Web is your friend on this one. Uh, and, and, and there are opinions. I mean, there are opinions. You ask horse people and you ask endurance <laughs> people what they think about something. I always tell people, you kind of have to wade through it all and see what works for you. But there are tons of resources on the, on the Internet. So we and, can help you. Get to www.aarc8.org. You can get my email there, and I'm happy to point people in the right direction. One of the things I've noticed, too, uh, with endurance riders, similar to eventers, uh, is that they tend to be a helpful group who really want other people. They're, they all become, you know, friends because they, they ride together, they hang out together, they, they sit around the campfire together. So they all become friends as well as competitors, but, but they're a helpful group. They will help you along the ride. They want to see new people coming into their sport. Mm-hmm. My husband has a theory. My husband has a theory that if you show up to a ride and you don't have a horse, you don't have a helmet, you don't have hay, you don't have money, you don't have your riding tights, you don't have any of that stuff, that if people know you and like you, by the time you make one circuit of camp, we'll have found you all of the above and you'll be riding the next day. <laughs> There you go, Jennifer. <laughs> well, thank you, Patty. Come on, Jennifer. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Patty. It was great talking to you. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Well, that's terrific. It's the A-E, it's so hard to say, A-E-R-C. A-E-R-C. 
dot org aerc dot org american uh, endurance ride conference she was a great guest i'm so glad that you brought her on and i think she'll maybe have motivated a few people like you know like our I hope so. like our listeners who've chiped in here like rita rita get out and do it i mean i see pictures on her facebook page mm-hmm. i don't know rita but i see pictures on her facebook page of her you know in a serious riding outfit riding her bike and her horses through the countryside and you know it's just time to go do it right it is. Just do it. Go, well, yeah, go right. And and um, I know you had uh, told me earlier that I could um, talk about upcoming events. Yeah. And I looked at the AARC ride calendar, and oh my gosh, in the next month I counted something like forty nine different rides. Wow. So I'm not going to list them all, but no. I'm just going to tell <laughs> uh, the listeners if you go to aerc.org and the left hand column just a couple um, spots down, it'll say ride calendar. If you click on the ride calendar, it'll open up and then you can pick your region and it lists each region by state. So you can find the state you're in or that you're close to and then go to that region or you can just look at all of the uh, rides in the United States and it'll pull it up for you. And that's a great way to find any of the upcoming endurance rides that are coming up that um, you can go um, and enter a ride or at least, you know, maybe just go and get your feet wet by helping out by volunteering or, and just to go visit and see what it's all about. Very good. And, of course, there's your blog. Let's give a plug for that. Okay. My blog is easy to find. You just type in my name, karenchatton.com, and it's called Endurance Ride Stuff. And I'm often blogging about rides. I'm always posting photos and trying to post useful educational things, product reviews, stuff like that. So, um, and also I like to hear from the uh, readers if they have any suggestions or ideas for me. Um, you can click on my email on the blog and um, send me a message. Jennifer, are you motivated? You ready to get be- your, your fat quarter horse speaker out there on the trail? <laughs> I need to find somebody to train with to motivate the boy to move along. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah, get, you know, you get them entered in, a, in an event, and they get highly motivated. <laughs> <laughs> It's not the event that's the hard part. It's the training part, buddy. I need to find somebody else in the hood who wants to take on this task with me. That's what I need to do. You know, interestingly enough, when I first started, before I ever did a ride, I I went and put up a a little notice on a piece of paper at the feed store looking for somebody um, that I'd like to train to do some endurance riding with. And that's um, one way I actually met some of the local endurance riders and hooked up with them. Well, there you go. That's easy enough. Now, you know, that was 20, over 20 years yeah. ago. So now we've got the Internet. It's so much easier. You know, and AERC has a mentorship program where, again, if you go to AERC.org and um, look for the education link or the mentor link, you can hook up with somebody that's in your area or even online and to ask questions or to possibly get together with to-go training. And um, so there's a lot of resources out there. Very good. Well, we are running out of time here. A couple things before we end today's episode. First, uh, Karen, it's been a, a pleasure having you. You're going to be back the second Tuesday of every month doing a special endurance episode with us here at Horses in the Morning. 
Course Horses in the Morning is live Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. We do have an app. You cannot listen to the show live, but you can listen to the recorded version, which goes up about an hour after the show, and all the shows on the Horse Radio Network. We have nine of them now. You can find the app in the iOS store or the Android store. Just search for Horse Radio Network, and it'll bring up the app. It's very easy to listen to the shows that way, all of them. And I do have to announce that our new show we mentioned yesterday, Blaze Kids Radio, our newest show. On the Horse Radio Network is alive with their first episode now. Go to blazekidsradio.com and you'll, you'll find the show or horseradionetwork.com. And it's showing up on the apps today. I think mine, mine showed up on the Android app. It's a fun little kids show. It's a half an hour, a couple times a month, uh, put on by Blaze Magazine for Horse Crazy Kids. And we'll have to get, uh, we'll have to make sure you get interviewed. So we, we get them interested in endurance riding very early. Uh, Karen, we'll have to make sure we do that. Great. That's great. I love writing with juniors. Well, they're, they're uh, th- this radio show is geared for the 8- to 12-year-old set, and it's a lot of fun. There's music in it. There's storytelling, <laughs> jokes, uh, facts, trivia. It's just a lot of fun. It's a lot like their magazine is. So check it out. It's brand new on mm-hmm. the market today. And also, you can listen to all of our shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. We have over 3,000 episodes we've done now in the five years the Horse Radio Network has been around. Karen has been on uh, some of them. You've been on the Stable Scoop show with us and here on Horses in the Morning. Mm -hmm. So it's been fun having you. And we'll be back again next month to talk more endurance. We'll start to get into more detail about the various aspects of all of this. We tried to give an overview today, right? Right, and I've got so many ideas of things to talk about. I mean, endurance riders never run out of things to talk about, especially their horses. You have to. You're 14 <laughs> hours on the trail chatting with each other. So, yes, <laughs> you have to have something to talk about. Well, good, Karen. And then around camp, we're still busy talking away every night. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Well, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's wrap it up today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning. Don't forget, on Wednesday mornings here at Horses in the Morning, we have the EquityMFG.com Wheel of Trivia. You can call in, answer a trivia question correctly about horses or equine stuff, and you get to spin the wheel and win great prizes. We have over $500 of prizes on the wheel tomorrow. People, last week we had a bunch of different winners. So uh, give us a call, 9.05 a.m. tomorrow morning at 347-637-3238. We would love to have you play to win. And that endurance riders included. So any endurance rider okay. that calls tomorrow and says, I'm an endurance rider and I heard it on yesterday's show, we'll give them a free Horse Radio Network mug. We'll send them out one of those. So just uh, tell Jennifer when you call in. Thank you, Karen. Okay. You have a great well, thank uh, month. You. And have a great time okay, training well, this month. I will. Happy trails. Happy trails. Wear your helmets. Be safe. Be back tomorrow. Jamie will be here. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.